0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Hub radio podcast, where we highlight nonprofit innovators, leaders, and influencers every week that are changing the sector for the better. I'm your host, Delaney Mullenix, Executive Director of Nonprofit Hub. If you're not for profit and all for purpose, you're in the right place. You see, we know you're already doing good, but we've designed this podcast to help nonprofit professionals find growth, joy, and connection. So tune in weekly for new episodes to elevate your cause, spread the news, and share the resources we share with you.
1: Did you know Nonprofit Hub offers a variety of courses and certification trainings inside of their membership platform called Cause Network? All courses and certificates include a full free year of membership to access 365 days of learning and networking to further your career and to make the difference in your organization. Visit NonprofitHub.org courses to see the full list of on-demand courses and sign up for a course today. That's NonprofitHub.org courses.
0: Hey, Nonprofit Hub, this is your host, Delaney Mullenix of the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast this episode i was joined by reverend bethany johnson javois she is one of the leaders at the deaconess foundation they recently launched an institute for black liberation and in this interview we talk about how nonprofits can help to heal internalized racism this is bethany's passion her pursuit and we discuss how the institute has been helping individuals heal from internalized racism how to accept that and how to move forward and we talk about the tough work that that lies ahead for them, but also how the entire sector can play a part in accomplishing that mission. I'm glad that we get to talk about this topic. You know, I just mentioned to you that our organization just recently held a national nonprofit conference, yeah. and it's been around for 22 years. So this is the 22nd co- time that we've hosted this conference dedicated to helping nonprofits Tackle challenges that are facing their organizations. And looking back on all of the topics that we've had, all of the different sessions that we've offered, we try to present on this topic every single year. And we recently played some recordings from previous from previous sessions, and it was sad, and it was kind of an eye opener to see over the past six years how much hasn't changed. Um, and that was so obvious in in us. Planning this year, trying to figure out how can we try to change that, and I think that's an important part of our conversation: is how, as a nonprofit, can you can you try to continue moving the bar, moving the needle in this in this issue? Um, so I think it's a, a really important conversation, and so we're we're excited to have you on today. Well, please just introduce yourself um, to our listeners. Who are you? Your background.
2: What do you do now? Sure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. My name is Bethany Johnson-Japois, and I am a St. Louis native. And I uh, actually see that my first identity is is a child of is a child of God. So my purpose statement is to do the will of him that sent me and finish his work to repair breaches of injustice and to inspire excellence, fierceness, and hope. And I identify with the nonprofit sector. My entire career, except for the past two years, has been in nonprofit working within it and systems and structures and dismantling those that do not benefit those that we serve. And most recently, I spent 13 years at the same nonprofit health intermediary organization, so I get it in ways that I think the audience can appreciate, and now on the other side, on the receiving end of leading philanthropy, uh, which hasn't been kind to nonprofit, I get a chance to make some things right and to try some things new that I'm hopeful that the audience will appreciate hearing from the learning experience. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. I love love the... You said the element of fierceness, like yeah. one of your passions. I'm, I'm about it. Yeah. Um, so what are some of these things that that you see need to be dismantled? I think that
2: um, I go back to the rooting of why nonprofit sector was created. What benefit does it provide, and particularly whose mission does it serve. So in some of the early years of the the nonprofit sector, uh, we could see that there was a really strong overrepresentation of the same type of leader in many spaces. The space has been white-led and white female-led. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but okay. with that rooting comes some Uh, blind spots that I think that we see sometimes. I think that nonprofit um, has been rooted in a charity mindset. And we're looking at thinking differently about that. We understand that now many organizations that are white led serve many black and brown people. And you can see the distance and the difference between lived experience being different than the leaders of both the programming and the governing. And that is something, Delaney, that I've uh, seen and observed, and really, am calling for a different way of being in nonprofit leadership. With accountability for philanthropy, to also be different, because we incentivize the behaviors that we're seeing that we also need to unlearn.
0: Okay, so are you? Is this the programming that you oversee at the Deaconess Foundation? Did you start the institute?
2: So yes. Yeah, so so Deaconess Foundation has had a long history in mission we have been around for 134 years the foundation portion of the mission since 1998 for my leadership the past two years which i've inherited a wonderful heritage of both the faith tradition that also looks at justice and health at that intersection and so we were gifted by the robert wood johnson foundation with funding that they said to us what we want to have a nonprofit. Take this money. It can be supported for general operating. And we want you to dream about the things that you need. We don't want to be prescriptive, but dream. And so given that invitation to have funding to do what we desire to do without strings attached, we looked within and we heard from community. And the one thing that we had not heard of nationally or actually globally was an institute, an actual ability for people who identify as Black, Black diaspora people to gather together to think about what healing would mean for us, because there's many things that have been attributed to Black people that we have internalized. So a whole institute for Black people who can think about the things that we have heard, the things that we have taken in, the things that we have done, sometimes unconsciously, sometimes consciously, and begin to think about Uh, how those behaviors have been toxic and harmful to our bodies, to our spirit, and to community. And so we think, we know that liberation will come if we are able to dismantle dominant cultures. And so that is the work for within us. And there is work also for people of the global majority and people raised white to do. So that's what the Institute is about.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And so are you starting then in St. Louis, so this is right now a local institute, what are, the, what are the dreams for the future?
2: So at the current time, what we have seen in terms of um, innovation in the space typically comes East Coast or West Coast. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, often the Midwest and the South or any other point in the country can be ignored. And what we've seen, remember that for us, A lot of the awakenings that we've had and the transformation that we've been through is because of the death of Michael Brown and because of the subsequent uprising of Ferguson. Most of the nation is thinking about George Floyd and the awakenings there. We're about five years prior to that. I'm saying that to say that that has influenced us as people and it has influenced Deacon's strategy. And so, for that reason, we really felt like we needed to have an offering for people that are local that have been through deep trauma from the history of what St. Louis has brought, unfortunately. And we too needed to then seed healing to the epicenter of where a lot of pain has been focused.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what has healing looked like so far? What are some of the things that that oh, the
2: yeah.
0: offering? So healing has looks like the admittance of
2: uh, us admitting that we have not been well. Mm. Just being honest about the fact that we can no longer go over our pain and keep going as if nothing has happened. The threshold of both those structures that we know exist in addition to the pandemic exacerbating that first step of healing was to say we are not well. Second step is to say, what is it within ourselves that we can trust we have some medicine, and not just the time that you take over the counter, but the kind of medicine that you can tell within you, you, you want to be well psychologically, spiritually and physically. And so the Institute has modules for participants to do some deep reflection internally it exposes people to the content of the rooting of colonization. How did we structurally, through policy, through practice, get here? Uh And then in community, how are we analyzing and assessing right now the ways that we have practiced behaviors that have been learned, but not necessarily that we want to accept intentionally now? And then the next part of healing is to disrupt and interrupt those practices that do not serve well-being well anymore mm-hmm. that's the first part the next part of the institute will continue to be thinking about our mental health and well-being and the institute is calling for a seven generations commitment so for us this first cohort of by faith many is really rooted in trying to think about how we transfer this disruption of unwellness and transfer joy, Black joy, to the next generation of leaders, of people, of our communities, of society. We believe that this is leadership development at its highest form because, as we say, transformed people are the people who transform systems.
0: hmm that's all really tough work. I mean, even the, I mean, you kept going, but even the first thing that you mentioned was just acceptance. And I, I recently listened to a podcast. I listened to a group of individuals called the minimalists. Um, and they try to teach like intentional living with less. Um, but yeah. one of the most recent episodes I watched, he said, uh, peace lies on the other side of acceptance. Um, and, and that is kind of also like what I'm hearing you say
1: Calling all nonprofit pros. Do you enjoy learning at your own pace? What about building your resume with certificates to showcase your talents? Nonprofit Hub's library of courses is the perfect place to strengthen your nonprofit skills and take your organization to the next level. You can elevate your impact with handcrafted courses designed exclusively for nonprofit pros like you. Learn to navigate grant writing like a pro. Master digital marketing and social media to amplify your cause. Build a board of directors who actually gets it. Get the scoop on nonprofit finance and more. Don't just make a difference, make the difference. Visit nonprofithub.org courses to see the full list of on-demand courses and sign up for a course today. That's nonprofithub.org courses. Now let's get back to today's show.
0: I'm sure you have several of these moments in the work that you do, but can you share a particular impactful or transformative experience that you've had um, maybe even just in the last two years of the institute. Yeah, I, I'd,
2: I'd love to um, give you an example because the institute really focuses on the "I" part of what we can do as a person, and then in our well-being, how that contributes to community. So if, I'm going to do the same for my example here. Doing I, um, I, I won't say I had imposter syndrome. But the environment and how it has socialized Black women, I had received some of those messages and internalized them, Um, feeling that my voice was enough without validation, feeling that my thoughts and my contribution and the way that I view the world and being able to boldly and audaciously say that and believe that with confidence is a stretch area for me. I typically have in the past kind of withdrawn waited on someone else to be the expert, Believe the messages, that my job is not to articulate vision. It is, in essence, to support other people to the detriment of my own body, to the time that I was spending, not well overworking, not resting, feeling like the weight of the responsibility of the planet was on my shoulders. And I've had the implication of that in my body. There are ways which I have noticed that now that I am practicing well-being differently, resting more, sharing responsibility, having confidence in my own voice, which really has been my work my entire life, has made a difference in how I get up in the morning, how well I can be, and what I'm sharing with other people. It's that joy part that I mentioned earlier, finding the joy lifting that up and leaning into it versus the grind and the exhaustion and, um, the tension, the conflict, the negativity, the aging that happens. So that's been really transformative for me, the affirmations in the environment.
0: Yeah. The aging is real. Uh, <laughs> real. you know, I've been, I've been a nonprofit leadership for only one year and this year I got so much older, <laughs> like in particular, um, what, when did all of that start for you? Like, do you think that started in areas of leadership like this, this overwork? It it
2: started for me when I began to be chosen for systems level work, Mm -hmm. the positions where, um, you know, my face, my name would be more in the public eye is when I really started to have to make a decision. For example, I used to be a person who would carve myself up. There was the work Bethany, there was the family Bethany, there was the um, weekend Bethany, there was the church Bethany. And when I determined that allowing myself to be split up into pieces was only disintegrating me to be whole and to be completely in all settings was kind of my first decision that put me on a path to stop being intimidated by the other messages and the other experiences that I had that tried to validate that I wasn't worth. And the moment that I decided, no, I mean, you know, no, I am worthy. I, I am worthy. And at this point, there there's some things that I can contribute to the world that are legitimate and they have some value and some weight. And I'm going to stop being apologetic before I speak. I'm just going to speak and let the world kind of deal with what they hear. And I mean that in love, but that's the other part of my journey has been that I had a time where I was rooted in toxic anger. I was livid. I still am angry. But the difference for me now is that I blend love and compassion and anger. And that for me has been my passion instead of rooting it in livid anger. And, you know, that's disintegrating. That has really, really changed the trajectory of my mental and physical well-being, honestly. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know the saying of um, holding on to anger like only harms yourself because like it's kind of like holding on to like a hot coal and like you're just burning like your own hands like when you're holding it. That obviously didn't come out very, very uh, beautifully, but I've heard a, there's a really good story about that.
2: Yeah. Um, And to be honest, anger is a, anger is a good fuel. It just needs to be calibrated and rooted in love. It can be passion, And I have had to learn (laughs) how to do all of that well.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like any other emotion, like you can, you can uh, use that energy in a productive way. Um, I think any emotion can be used in a productive way if, if intentionally done. So how I really want to, you know, for our listeners today and, you know, for the message that hopefully like maybe you want to get across is how can other nonprofits invest in the work of healing the pains of internalized racism?
2: My desire for my nonprofit colleagues and friends um, is to take the first and hardest step, which is to look within to take a look at your human resource practices in particular. Delaney, I gotta tell you that a lot of the toxicity seems for some reason to be rooted in HR. Mm -hmm. It's like a protective mechanism that doesn't trust people and tries to control people into behavior. So I would really advise to start looking at those practices for deaconess. We have changed the name of human resources to people and culture because that's really what our justice center and our human centeredness is about, that's number one. Number two, I would say, take a look at the disaggregated data of your board and your staff leadership and listen to them again for the very first time. If they're not reflective of lived experience of who you serve in mission, it's time to recalibrate that. And third, if you're leading in a benevolent way, those people need us, We have to exist because they can't. That kind of a posture, that posture is extremely toxic and harmful. It does not serve co-equal and shared power well. And there's a way to get advice on how to think. And lastly, I know that nonprofit steeps itself in program delivery, but I would urge you to consider thinking about the more structural ways that policy change, little p policy processes can look Versus just the programmatic delivery that frankly keeps people in a loop to have to come back to you, which is a power dynamic and it is not healthy, right? Healthy interdependence versus dependence on nonprofit, which is by design kind of set up, right? This is what I want to work with people to dismantle. It's the ethos behind nonprofit. The industry is amazing. We need it. But there has to be a different way of being with people in it. And I think that we can uh, change those practices.
0: Okay, great. What, um, I mean, so that's your advice to individuals. What, in what ways do you envision the broader community addressing and healing racial trauma?
2: We are at a point that's really uncomfortable for this nation and for our community. We're at a place of needing to reckon with our true history. There are things that we've been told. There are stories that we've told ourselves. Mm -hmm. There are narratives that we have kind of co-opted and or just kind of participated in. I mean, it's over and over
0: again. Like you had said, you know, one of the things that you're doing even at the Institute for for people who are coming for healing, you're teaching them like the true history of what has happened. And I mean, the way I learned history and the way you continue to learn it through movies and through pop culture and through all of these different things. Like it's not, no. it never is the right, is the right accuracy. There's a blind spot in it. And there's an intention about what's left
2: out. So I'm saying get sharp in understanding the why and the information, know that you're being indoctrinated and liberate the consciousness, right? That literally is a practice. The liberatory consciousness practice is something that we try to do, which is, don't be spoon-fed all these things that have been unconscious but really be intentional about data information the words that we use and the unpacking of like the history of that my closing on this point is we're at a point of reckoning where we need to choose like truth is confronting us now will we accept it or will we lean into our denial our privilege and our confusion that that is what white privilege does right we have a choice to make and we are calling for a choice. The nation is, the planet is, right? There's a lot that's happening. And I think that reckoning and sitting in a very uncomfortable place to disrupt and change to who we know we want to be in this space, that is our work now.
0: Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. a, there's a term that I heard in my, my master's program for public administration and nonprofit leadership. What was your master's program, by the way?
2: Oh it was the social work.
0: And social work. Okay. Um the term was and this is literally if I remember anything from my master's program I don't know why is this specific word this it was in like a theory class or something and um the word is moral intelligence and yeah. it was either moral intelligence or moral imagination and I'm sure listeners have heard me say this before because I just absolutely love it. Oh. And the definition of it is your responsibility to act in relation to what you know. And my hope for this sector is that individuals who go into public service, who go into these areas of nonprofit leadership and management and service, hopefully have that moral imagination. And so that makes me hopeful because these people have chosen to be in the sector because they have chosen to act in relation to what they know versus like you said, continue to live in ignorance or continue to act in the way that you have, turning your back to something that you know is happening. I love that word.
2: Oh, I thank you for saying that, you know, the status quo is not work. it's working for some people, but the status quo is not working for so many people. And many of us got into this field because of precisely that. So I think remembering that and to your point, we have a spin on moral imagination that we uh, have learned about called prophetic imagination. It's where you are so centered in what you want to see and a, and a litmus test of being free or you know, uprooting that healing is the ability to dream. And so the ability to think about a different future that we've never lived in before, but we're calling for and we're building toward that is using, to your point, prophetic imagination. I will also offer for those that are listening that I have identified a couple of really tactical ways to think about leadership development that I would ask nonprofit like I'm doing to develop myself and to think about like how we do professional development differently. So some of those skills I found is gaining emotional intelligence, looking and developing that effective feedback loops, especially about hard topics like race, right? Like things we don't agree on and to think about um, discernment because a lot of things that we're now doing as leaders in this industry has never been done before or people have been scared or whatever it is, but we're called to be those folks. We are the ones. Right. And so thinking about how to know how to forecast and be courageous and find your community. Like, I don't think in my experience, I don't think everybody's going to come along with this way, but we are going to find our way to each other like we're doing now. We're going to create village and we're going to strengthen ourselves to encourage ourselves to do something different that we've never done. For me, that's exciting, not scary.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is kind of a perfect way, you know, to end our, to end our podcast where like the total, we end with good news and on, every episode. Mm-hmm. So, um, although this is challenging work and there's a lot of work ahead of us and, um, it's, it's tough work. You know, we, we talked about that before, not any one of the steps that you identified that the Institute is engaging in is going to be easy, but we'll end with good news for nonprofits. Um, if you didn't already share it, what is one piece of good news that you can leave with listeners today?
2: The good news about nonprofit is that you're in it and you're fighting the good fight. The good news about nonprofit is that on the other side of what probably irritates you the most, which is funders are thinking radically different to support what you've always dreamed of to make happen. There's not a ton of us, but we are out here. We hear you and we are changing toward a seated healed future that we know you've been asking for, but we've put the brakes on you. So good news, green light to be incredible and amazing that you've always been. And we're gonna partner with you differently and support that in your own well being, not sacrificing you as well. So that to me is really, really good news.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I've heard a couple of people actually say that um in terms of funding <laughs> and philanthropy. So um
2: Hold us accountable now. Don't, don't just
0: take the good news. Hold us accountable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bethany, it's been a pleasure having you on today. If people want to learn more about, um, the work of the Deaconess Foundation, how can they find you guys?
2: Yeah. Our website can be shared. We can be found. So I'm on LinkedIn, Bethany Johnson-Javoir, and, uh, Deaconess.org is where we can be found. You can Google us. And, uh, we are also available that if you give us a phone call, there is a live person that will route you to the person that you want to speak with because we have an open door, right? We we share this kind of good news with anyone who's interested in learning more.
0: Incredible! Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Um, we will speak with the rest of you guys next week on the next episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast. Thanks for joining us for this Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast episode. For more resources on fundraising, marketing, and all things nonprofit, be sure to check out the number one nonprofit toolbox at nonprofithub.org. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast.